Hello and welcome to the 111th edition of the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast heard all over the world. And a special hello to our many listeners in Spain and New Zealand. For some reason, they were pinging on the um, on the uh, uh, on the trend map of where we're being downloaded. Uh, I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News. My name is Jason Luber. I am pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. Love our fans in New Zealand. Also want to warn everybody about e-scooter hacking, the newest trend, people speeding up and breaking your e-scooters from a distance. We did have a whole story about e-scooters and how people are making money by collecting them at night taking them either to a warehouse or taking them home and then charging them and then putting them back out. And that's a job now. Uh, yes. Uh, making below minimum wage. Shout out to Bird, Lime, all the other companies who are charging their scooters on the backs of low-paid labor. Well, hey, look, they don't have to go. Somebody doesn't have to go pick it up if they don't want to. <laughs> right? You can't. You're not. I'm not picking them up. Jason, your Republican is showing. <sighs> We made news this past week, by the way. The interview we did with Colorado State Representative Hugh McKean, it made news on two different fronts. First, about the yellow light idea. We talked a lot about that. Uh, that's where we would change the traffic light. So instead of just going from red immediately to green, it would go from red to yellow first and then go to green. And that story had some really robust commentary. Uh, many said it would be actually be too confusing to do it. Others speculated that... Most of the drivers would just ignore that yellow light and gun it as soon as they saw that happen. Yep. And it would cause more crashes. Uh, some of the most productive comments were suggesting that maybe the yellow light going from green to yellow to red, that the yellow should be maybe um, lengthened, maybe mm -hmm. to five seconds, four or five seconds, and that would help clear intersections and make it a little bit safer. Uh, the other subject that made news out of our interview was Representative McKean's DUI per se bill. That's the one that would basically allow for a police officer to charge somebody with DUI if the officer thinks he has reasonable suspicion that a driver used any amount of alcohol or drugs. Um, remember, we asked him that question directly that a defense attorney would have a field day with that, saying you don't have any evidence. You right. just said he's drunk and therefore he's drunk. That, that doesn't really work in this at least litigious society. So uh, they have since shelved it. He did the same thing with the yellow light bill that he did with that one. He postponed it indefinitely. I mean, that one has some serious legs to it. I can't wait to see it get brought up again. And honestly, I just can't wait for the technology for this marijuana uh, breath test to get to a point where we don't need laws that say, I need to have an eyeball test to tell whether or not you're high. I also want to give a special shout out to the person on our Facebook page who said, nobody's ever killed anybody while driving under the influence of marijuana. That's just not true. No, that's, it's that's not true. so flagrantly false. I did not feel like putting in the time to fact check him. <laughs> yeah, it, um, any kind of impairment, whether it's going to be prescription drugs, uh, it's going to be alcohol, it's going to be marijuana, any, basically anything that's altering you from your regular state um, is going to be an impairment to your driving ability, mm -hmm. period. Uh, even if you have a common cold, it affects you in a lot of ways. Um, there are a lot of things that affect you as you drive, and any kind of impairment is the wrong kind of impairment. There you go. Uh, well, later in the show, we're going to be talking driver tests. You're going to go through the process, right, again? Do you have to take, didn't you already take a test or... I took the written test. Written test was easy. Driving test has me nervous because in New Hampshire it was difficult, but I'm told in Colorado they're actually not that hard. They are not. 
And that is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about an expert about the driver's test. Because, as you said, some states, like Colorado, are apparently easy to pass. And others, like New Hampshire, are harder to pass. So we're going to find out why the discrepancy between the different states, where it's easy to pass a driver's test, uh, where it's hard. And uh, so we'll talk to Jacob Loving. He's the director of community outreach for drivingtest.org. So he'll be coming up in just a bit. Can't wait. Uh, But first, here is your headline of the week. Driver in crash swerved to avoid octopus. A driver who swerved to avoid an octopus before crashing has been arrested on suspicion of drug driving. Police were called to a road in western England where they found a vehicle upside down in a ditch. When police interviewed the driver, he told them that he swerved to avoid an octopus that was on the road. The 49-year-old driver was checked over by paramedics before being arrested. Officers said they found no evidence of an octopus on the road. That's too bad, man. I wanted to believe this guy. Now, they say that octopuses octopi, are not unheard of in the seas off of the southern coast of England, but this particular cephalopod would had to have crawled more than five miles over hills and fields to find itself in the path of that car. And this is another great reminder to not swerve to avoid wildlife. It's better to hit it because you might flip your car and get arrested for drugged driving. How big would the octopus have to be that your car wouldn't win that conversation? In a collision between the car and the tire and the octopus? Did he say if it was a giant octopus or just a regular old octopus? He did not say. Hmm. Um, did not s- specify on the size of the octopi he definitely was on the kind of drugs where he saw a horror movie giant octopus that was about right. to like knock him off the road with one tentacle and so of course you swore to avoid that a dramatic new outdoor observation deck just opened to passengers at san francisco's international airport the deck is one part of a recent 55 million dollar upgrade to the airport's international terminal and since the outdoor lounge is behind security Only passengers with the boarding passes will actually have access to it. Okay. Now, to keep out the wind, the space is encircled by crystal clear, 10-foot panes of bird-proof glass. Have you heard of bird-proof glass? Haven't we talked about bird-proof glass and how it's necessary for certain areas? Uh, They say if you look at the glass up close and from an angle, you can see vertical lines in each of the panes of glass. And it's apparently something the birds can see a lot better than we can see. And so it keeps them from smashing themselves into the wind barrier at this new observation deck. So you don't have dead birds as you're trying to enjoy some jet sounds in the outside (laughs) observation deck at the International Terminal in San Francisco. Well, that's very thoughtful. Isn't it, though? Uh, Speaking of birds, the deck also includes several zero-scaped planters. With small, scrubby plants that birds don't like. Uh, visitors can also relax or work at several wooden chairs and tables, along with three leisure chaise lounges, all outfitted with electrical outlets. I, I like the idea. It's nice to get outside. They're going to try to keep people. It's a no-smoking area, so, they're right. gonna, so they don't want people to go out there just to use it as a smoking area while they're waiting for their connection. Uh, or waiting to, before their flight. It does seem like the architect was very anti-bird, <laughs> yeah. both in the architecture well, no, and the I landscaping. I think he's pro-bird. He doesn't want birds in the area, and he doesn't want birds killing themselves trying to get in the area. Uh, well, he's trying to save the bird. Gotcha. Not much That's bird right. watching from this Forget observation Forget the whale. Tower. Save the shrimp. 
<laughs> there you go. All right. So one of the big stories of the week is uh, this letter that the New York City Police Department sent off to Google demanding that they remove drunk driving checkpoints and police reports in its Waze navigation app. Now, in this letter, the New York Police Department writes that the posting of such information for public consumption is irresponsible since it only serves to aid impaired and intoxicated drivers to evade checkpoints and encourage reckless driving. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Maybe it encourages people to slow down and actually, I don't know, drive more responsibly. A Google spokesperson responded in a way that makes it clear the NYPD is going to need to do a bit more convincing to Google to uh, pull the DUI uh, checkpoints. Google says safety is a top priority when developing navigation features at Google. The head of Mothers Against Drunk Driving, Helen Witte, she said, we believe that informing drivers about upcoming speed traps allows them to be more careful and make safer decisions when they're on the road. Even though sobriety checkpoints are typically publicized in advance of the roadblocks, they still serve their purpose. Drunk drivers that go through checkpoints might be too confused to be aware of what is happening anyway. <laughs> she has a point. Drunks are dumb. Drunks are dumb, there and they're go. not paying all that much attention. Now, last month, Google added speed limit information to Google Maps. I already see that information on my Google Map. I think it's very helpful. Oh, yeah, very much so. And then it will show you if you're above the speed limit. And then it can actually have an alarm on there to show you if you're really above the speed limit. Uh, they also have speed trap information. Uh, that's been out in many areas. Uh, both have been a long part of the Waze app and have been annoying some in law enforcement for about equally amount of, of the long time. Uh, a group from the National Sheriff's Association called for the removal of the speed trap location some time ago. And there's already cops that I've heard that have gone as far to post fake speed traps on ways for one of two reasons. One, to throw off criminals. if they Because here's what they, they're really worried about. They think they are a target. That you are reporting where a police officer is and that somebody with ill intentions are going to go over there, drive over there, and do harm to that police officer. That's one thing they're worried about. The other thing they're worried about is that if you know where they are, then you're not going to go speeding and you're not going to go drinking around them and therefore they're not going to catch you. That's what, they, that's what they're bugged about, mm -hmm. basically. I think Google is going to win if this ever goes to a lawsuit. That's why it's just a letter. And nothing from lawyers or a lawsuit because it's First Amendment grounds. Yeah, sure, okay. But there's plenty of ways around this that would be amenable to the police department that Google wouldn't have much say over. One, to your point that you just brought up, yeah, post some fake ones. This isn't that difficult. Throw people off the scent. Say that you're going to be on 25 but actually be on 70. Boom. Everybody's fooled, right? right? That seems oh, fairly yes, exactly. straightforward. Or I think the, the more obvious one and probably the more legal one is to say we may be hosting enforcement at a number of locations and then only select a few of them, right? So you can't avoid every single intersection in the city. So if I'm saying I'm doing DUI enforcement in Aurora, where in Aurora? Can't tell you, just in Aurora. Well, they do. I get press releases all the time from different police departments saying exactly where they're going to be. And at what time? Yeah. Um, and I think that there is some legality in that, that they have to post that specifically. Uh, you know, it's some archaic law somewhere that they have to do that. But they could expand it. Oh, sure. Instead of just oh, saying sure. we're right. at this intersection, it's we may be at these intersections. Right. 
here's a list. Or And you know what? Maybe they even just post one officer in one of those spots, and so it's not a full-on checkpoint. I've gone through one of these checkpoints before. Uh, I was with my family. We were just coming back from dinner. It was somewhere up north uh, and driving south, and all of a sudden you see all these police officers, and you have to stop and and, um, and you know, they asked me, hey, have you been drinking and this and that? And I said, well, we're just coming back from dinner. All right, move on your way. Yep. Uh, and But it's also kind of interesting for me to watch those videos of people who are going through these checkpoints and who are trying to give the cops grief, where they only open the window like a crack. And so they can say, will you please open your window more? And the guy is just shaking his head no. Uh, and only you know only does the very minimum right. to get through this thing, uh, and then usually says, "Am I being detained? Am I being detained? Am I being detained?" And then they just wave them through. Th- th- those people for they're not drunk. No, they're just being they're animals. obnoxious. Yeah. So I don't know. The NYPD just better get over it. Well, I we'll see because it cl- it's pretty clear that they're going to fight this too. And Google, I don't know. You, you, we've seen who's in the courts these days. And Google, I think, has a lot more money than the NYPD. They have more money than everybody. Do you think so? The yeah. Uh, no, yeah. They no, definitely they, do. That, yeah. I was being sarcastic. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's Google. You have one of the top five companies in the world and the NYPD. Well, one of the rites of passage for teenagers is getting a driver's license. But before you can get in the car and hit the road on your own, you need to pass a driver's test. And it's not just teenagers. It's also adults like Joseph here. Yes, it is. There is a new study that has ranked all the U.S. states based on how difficult it is to pass your driver's test, and it found out that Colorado rates as one of the easiest states to pass the driver's test. To explain more about these findings, to look at the other states that are easy and other ones that are hard to pass a driver's test, we have invited Jacob Loving. He's the director of community outreach for the website drivingtests.org. Jacob, welcome to the Driving You Crazy podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So before we ask you the easy and hard states, when uh, we are talking about passing these driving tests, are we talking about the written part of the test, the behind-the-wheel part of the test, or, or both? We're talking about both. So there's two elements to every driving test. There's the knowledge exam, and there is the what's called the driving exam, where you're out on the road with an instructor from the DMV or someone who's been approved by the DMV, right? So... Colorado, for example, actually ranks very high for the knowledge test. It requires an 80% to pass, but for the driving test, it only requires 10 elements, which is um, one of the lowest. So why is the driver's test overall here so easy? Do they, do they not put you through some of the rigor that other states do? Is that what's going on? Yeah, I'd say so. So for the driving test, it only requires 10 elements. So that's three maneuvers you have to know. Um, It's one point for driver behavior, six for vehicle control. You don't need any adherence, and you get one attempt. So compared to, say, my home state of Virginia, um, that requires an extra seven in my state. And many states require much more than that. So is this part of our legislative process that would have to have that changed? Is this a just a long time, Mm -hmm. hey, we we can drive out here, we only need... 10 points of uh, testing instead of people in Virginia who maybe not be as, uh, you know, as proven as good drivers as maybe here in Colorado. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. It comes down to legislation. And to have that change, there would have to be some change uh, on the part of the law. 
So how much of it in Colorado and, and, and how common is this in other states where the driver's test isn't necessarily administered by the DMV, but they have actually third party agencies that do the driver's test and then sign off on you? And how much is that an impact on maybe mm-hmm. a lower ease score? You know, it, it really depends on state to state. Every state has their own laws. Um, there are certain uh, certifications that you can earn with third parties. Um, but that really just depends. I think when it comes down to getting your actual license, you need to have the approval from the state. And, and you know, that varies from, say, motorcycle licenses or CDLs um, to even even something like a, you know, like a scooter license or something like that. But if you want a driver's license to drive on the road, you need approval from the state. So South Dakota was identified as the easiest state to get a uh, pass mm-hmm. the driver's test. Now, Ohio, New York, Arkansas, and then, of course, Colorado were following closely behind. Are, are some of the reasons you identified for Colorado the same reasons for these other states as well? Absolutely. It seems like the elements of the driving test plays the biggest role. In South Dakota, it's only six. So you can imagine how easy it would be there. And then could I, let's say I'm, I'm really not a great driver, and, and I mm-hmm. live in Virginia, or I live in one of the other hard states that we'll look at in just a minute. Could I go to, let's say, South Dakota or come here to Colorado or maybe one of the neighboring states and say, I, I want to get a driver's license in your state and then pass your easy driving test and then just go back to my home state uh, and then get it transferred into my new home state? <laughs> well, Jason, you I mean, that would be going to a lot of trouble. That's about a 25-hour drive for myself. <laughs> but you could, you could certainly go that route. I think you would have to you know, have approval from the state, maybe even buy a house there. But if you're that bad of a driver, you can go for it. I am all about trouble. Um, Post office (laughs) boxes are easy to come by. Right. (laughs) Worth the investment. Uh, So looking at the, uh, those easy states, uh, there seems to be a lot of them in the Western United States. Uh, Is there any reason you think that it's maybe easier in the West than it is in the Eastern states? You know, that's a really good question. I mean, perhaps it comes down to the style of government. Um, it seems like in states that tend to be more democratic overall, there is a bit more restriction on that. So you're looking at states like Washington or Massachusetts or Maryland um, that rank in the top four. Um, and as you look at more uh, states that are, that are, you know, a little bit more lax with their government, you can see states like Nevada, you know, Arizona, Utah are among the easiest. So if we had to try to identify um, a correlation between the two, I would say that would be it. Yeah, because looking at that uh, hard list, it's Washington, Massachusetts, Maryland, South Carolina, and Kansas mm-hmm. are the five toughest states. So what makes them the toughest states? I think it comes right back to the driving test. If you're looking at, at Washington, for example, requires 19 elements to know nine maneuvers. You have to be able to control the vehicle for uh, for six different controls. You only get one. I mean, you get zero repeat attempts in that state. That's not good. That's not good for Joseph, who needs as many, because he is going through, yeah. actually, this process now to get his driver's license again. Um, mm-hmm. So we're getting firsthand knowledge here. So we're talking with Jacob Loving. He's the director of community outreach for drivingtest.org. So what makes a, on the on the knowledge portion of, of the test, what makes a hard question or an easy driving test question? You know, I've got the uh, the most frequently missed questions for Colorado pulled up right here. You guys want to give them a shot? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so 
You should reduce your speed by half when the road is A, packed with snow, B, wet, C, icy, or D, all of the above. D. No, you know what? Not just no, wet. No, go with D, man. Should I Definitely go with D? D. All right, I'm going to go with D. The answer is A, packed yeah. with snow. There you go. <laughs> See, I was thinking the wet, uh, the I, but the ice is obviously, well, what are they going to say for the ice? I, mean, I don't know right what to answer? tell you. I don't know why they would say <laughs> yeah, sorry, the right answer. We're both wrong. That's that. That's that question maybe, is flawed. Uh, <laughs> maybe uh, you guys were just a bit better driving through uh, ice up there. Wait, well, Colorado I am because I, I I would have answered actually. I do not decrease my speed through ice or snow. <laughs> when <Christ>. I'm driving. <laughs> All right. So question number two. Okay, question number two. Um, the risk of driving impairment begins to rise noticeably. This is an important one. It rises noticeably when the blood alcohol concentration is blank and increases rapidly thereafter. So your answers are 0 0.08, 0 0.07, 1%, or 0.05%. All right. Goodness. So if I'm going to that's point, I'm going to go 0 .0, 0 0.07. You're going 0 0.07? I'm, I'm going to go 0 0.07. I'm, I'm going to go the lowest. I, I'm going 0.05. Okay, Jason, you would be right if you're in Virginia, but actually oh. he has this one. It's .05. Another See? sign you need so, to move to Virginia so. right there. <laughs> I, uh, here I come. <laughs> so an important thing to keep in mind next time you go to a bar. Yes. <laughs> right. In Virginia. In Virginia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and let's do uh, one more. Um, when parked facing uphill on the right side of the road, so you're next to a curb, you should steer either away from the curb, towards the curb, straight or towards the side with the least amount of vehicles you should always point it so the wheel so i i'm thinking the wheels the wheels need to be so you would be able to pull out so the wheels that would actually hit the curb if the car lost its brakes or the parking brakes or whatever so the wheels would bump up against the curb so whatever that that one would be so that one's a bit confusing over the phone but you're right it's away from the curb yeah okay. so there you go because that, cause the idea is if the car did lose the brakes, the, the car, the, the wheels would push it right up against the curb, and then you wouldn't it, it wouldn't keep rolling down the hill. Yep. Absolutely. Hey, one out of three ain't bad. <laughs> not, <laughs> not as good as meatloaf would do, right? Yeah. Uh, all right. So during the driving part of the test, it, it, do you think it's a good idea to chat up the instructor? I mean, wouldn't it be better to lighten the mood and maybe use some personality to get the instructor to like you, and maybe that might make the instructor overlook a few of the minor infractions that you are incurring while you're doing the driving test? Yeah, I think that just depends on how charming you are. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we actually, driving test releases a little guide uh, to follow before going in for your driving test, and we advise against doing that, actually. Oh, we think really? especially even when preparing, say you're going out for uh, uh, any teenagers that are practicing with their parents or a guardian, um, don't talk about what's going on or, you know, uh, uh, things at home or the news or anything. Just try to focus on driving, try to focus on uh, the signs, the directions, and, and really just stay focused on what's going on. So it's is pretty the best much advice a, we can give. a sterile environment then in the car, right? <laughs> that's what we would... Uh, yeah, that's what we would advise. What if you're a nervous talker, though? I mean, if you just can't help but conversate when you get into a nervous situation, for example, having somebody stare at you while you're driving and test you on your knowledge. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I would say uh, whatever makes you comfortable, whatever whatever helps you drive just a little bit better. 
So uh, what other pro tips do you have for us here, uh, Jacob, for maybe kids or parents before they go do a driving test or the knowledge test? Pro tips, uh, you know, definitely not over a .05 uh, alcohol level, if you can help it. Um, <laughs> well, obviously practice. you could help it. You don't have to drink. Point <laughs> zero two, exactly. just fine. Yeah, um, and just practice, 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 practice. Um, do your studying and, and be as prepared as you can. And is that something that people could find at drivingtests.org? Absolutely. We have every knowledge test uh, available for every state. It's updated for 2019, and we're ready to go. Wow. that's You know what? Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should download the, <laughs> the driving test for different states, and then we'll, we'll also, you know, maybe randomly throughout the next year, we'll just throw those questions out. Yes. Yep. And if, if you need to go to South Dakota to get ready, you can use the South Dakota knowledge test. Hey, it's only six hours from here. Um, Not bad. I already drove to uh, Rapid City one time, and so, hey, I'm, I'm ready to take their driving test and, and move on with my life. There you go. <laughs> All right. Jacob Loving, thank you for sharing your expertise here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, I, maybe I guess I don't need to really drive to South Dakota because I already have my driver's license here. I actually got the new one, the new um, license. They have this new updated one with all these different security features on it. Okay. Um, it's supposed to be TSA approved and all that other stuff because everybody has to get, all the states have to be on board with this new driver's license that has all these, like it has this um, hologram deal in it, other safety features of some sort. little black and white picture of you in the bottom corner that's like, yeah. yeah that's why you. it was so great when I took my older brother's birth certificate to the Georgia DMV. And then I had my picture on his driver's license, and so I could buy beer when I was 18. There, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that was an elaborate plan, and it almost didn't work, but somehow I pulled it off. First seven years. Uh, okay, so uh, I guess we're ready to drive now. It's uh, Well, it's been a milestone. Speaking of the TSA, uh, it's been a milestone year for the TSA, as 2018 was marked by a record number of travelers and significant uh, numbers of security enhancements by the TSA. There were a total of 814 million passengers and crew members passed through TSA. Record-breaking screening numbers during the spring, Thanksgiving, and summer. It was over 2 million travelers a day, I guess. And that was about a 5.5% increase over 2017. Now, TSA officers, they are intercepting all kinds of different things that people are trying to get through security. All kinds of crazy things. Well, they also accepted and intercepted a record number of firearms. Mm. They had 4,239 total firearms discovered in the carry-on bags at checkpoints across the country. 86% of them were loaded. That's a lot. 34% had a round in the chamber ready to shoot. Wow. Here are the top 10 airports for firearm discoveries last year. Atlanta, Dallas-Fort Worth. Phoenix, Denver at number four, Orlando, Houston, Fort Lauderdale, Austin, Dallas's Love Field, and Nashville. Did you notice that three of the top ten of the airports are in Texas? No surprise. And there's, a, I mean, they're mostly in the in the south. I was going to say not a lot of <laughs> not a lot of New England airports on the list. No, uh, for the people caught with a gun, the TSA mo- may impose a civil penalty up to thirteen thousand three hundred and thirty-three dollars per violation per person. Now among <laughs> Uh, along with those firearms, here are some of the other prohibited items they discovered this year. Are you ready for this? 
Three smoke grenades were discovered in a check, uh, checked bag at Nashville International Airport. So they didn't try to get it through. They tried to get it in the checked bag that went into the belly of the plane. Three smoke grenades. That would obviously be a problem. But also not real grenades. So not, maybe not but that big of a deal. If you see smoke coming from under the plane, that's a problem. No? <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, I'm skeptical. An inert grenade was detected in a carry-on bag at McCarran International Airport. That's Las Vegas. That's sketchier. See, that, that's a real grenade. But it's an inert grenade. It wasn't explosive. It wouldn't have blown up, but it looked like it could blow up. Mm-hmm. A bottle of lighter fluid was discovered in a carry-on bag of a passenger going from Seattle. That could also be a problem. That's cheap, too, man. Just pick it up when you touch down. Well, yeah, you're right. Uh, fireworks were discovered in a carry-on bag. Of a passenger traveling from Orlando. Do they travel higher if you set them up from the plane? Uh, They would, but you'd have to be outside the plane Mm. to set them off. And I don't think you want to be outside the plane going 500 miles an hour. Also in Orlando, five replica mortar shells were discovered in a checked bag. Now, they're replica, but since they look real, again... People would freak out. That's somebody trolling, man. That's somebody who's trying to get arrested at that point. You're bringing fake mortar shells on an airplane and not giving anybody a heads up first. And in fact, for that one, the TSA had to stop baggage screening operations altogether until an explosive specialist could respond (laughs) and declare those items were safe. Because anything resembling an explosive item is prohibited, obviously, in a carry-on or checked bag. So here are just a few of the prohibited items TSA discovered that were suspiciously packaged. In 2018. Different category. The nominees are. During a bag check in Minneapolis, the x-ray monitor saw scissors and a knife wrapped in tinfoil behind the bag's lining. I mean, what do they think? They're not going to go through. I mean, it's metal. It's an x-ray foil. I mean, it's like you're drawing <laughs> attention to it. Right? Yeah. It's like you're carrying gasoline in a gasoline can. The red one, like the old style red one, that's metal. With the handle and everything. That's horrible. Scissors with blades shorter than four inches measured from the tip to the pivot point. Those are the ones that are allowed in your carry-on bag. Fiskers. Knives of any size and scissors with blades longer than four inches are not allowed. Just so you know. Thank you. A knife comb was discovered in Wichita. A knife comb. There was a knife concealed inside a medicine bottle that was discovered in Springfield. A carbon dioxide-powered semi-automatic pellet gun was found in the carry-on bag at Manchester's Boston Regional Airport. Now we're talking. There we go. Yes. It's amazing carbon nobody dioxide. caught on to that. Those, those things, you know, they have that little carbon dioxide canister. Yep. And you put it in, and you got to screw it tight, and then it, psh, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Danger- I, dangerous on several levels, that thing. <laughs> I had one of those, and it would never be great because you, you have to keep shooting to keep the, you know, because it doesn't really last that long if you just let it sit. Right. That's why I have the pump gun so I can get the rabbits around my yes, house. absolutely. Because then you can shoot it at will. That one at the uh, Boston airport, that passenger had the firearm tucked into a static shielding bag to try to conceal it. So it wasn't like they were actually trying to, oh, sorry. They actually were trying to get it through. Yeah. No, they, uh, static shielding bag, that would block x-rays, correct? Yes. I always thought, though, and I'm not giving anybody ideas, and probably people, you know, look, terrorists are smarter than me when they want to do bad things. But, but I always thought, because you can bring the little bottles of alcohol, a- as many as the three-ounce bottles as you want, as long as they fit in the quart-size bag. Well, I think at one time I, I got four or five of those 
things inside a quart-sized bag. And, and the way I figured it, it was about two-thirds of a regular fifth of a bottle of liquor, right? Now, they say you're not supposed to have, like, grain alcohol, the higher anything higher than 40 proof, but they weren't checking that. They weren't checking the proof of my alcohol. Correct. They weren't at all. So I could have or could have mixed a couple or I could... You know, I could have poured because I, I just brought them in there. And then that that's plenty of alcohol and plenty of liquid to do plenty of damage to a plane. Right? If you have a couple of people yes, doing Jason, it. Yes, Jason. It would be very easy to create a Molotov cocktail on an airplane. <laughs> Especially if you have three or four or five people doing it all at one time. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I'm not giving. I don't want this to happen. I don't want this to happen. I don't want that to happen. But yeah. I, it just, I thought about it as I was bringing my alcohol with me on the airplane. This reminds me of the time O.J. Simpson wrote a book called "What If I Did It." <laughs> I did not do it. I will not do it. I don't want to do it. But if I did it. But if I did it. Here's how I would do it. That is how I would have done it. There we go. There you go. Thank you for the O.J. reference. Anytime. <sighs> Do you think AC Cowlings listens to the podcast? <laughs> it's possible. Wouldn't that be great if, if AC and uh, OJ were listening to the podcast during the chase? OJ's always welcome on this podcast. Oh, yeah. We 100% would have, of the you time. You know what? You haven't heard from OJ in a while. I think we did hear from him sometime, but he really has been pretty quiet, which I'm surprised about. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I got to plead the fifth on that one. But, yeah, I agree. That's about it for this uh, episode of the Driving You Crazy podcast. Uh, I have a couple of guests scheduled for next week. We're going to be talking about gas and how important that is to everybody. Uh, and then AAA has this deal where they're talking about how all these, um, uh, all the cool new electronic devices that are in your car, every company has their own name for it. Nobody knows what, what any of them do. So we'll sort all that stuff out next time on the Driving You Crazy podcast. If you want to get a hold of us, of course, just have long arms. Uh, until then, uh, thanks again for listening. I'm Jason Lipper, the traffic guy. I am white Bronco enthusiast, Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. Happy motoring.